Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. With love's arms around me, I'm finally home. You know, that rings so true in my heart. I tried so many things to fulfill the longing in my heart, and it wasn't until I allowed Jesus to hold me in his arms. Can anybody relate to that this morning? Uh, I know what it's finally like to be home and what it's like to finally be alive. If you have your Bible, can you guess where we're going to end up today? That's what I'm talking about, Matthew. Thank you, brother. Early service, they told me, Malachi. And so uh, I was really hoping you guys were going to come on strong, and you did. Thank you. Malachi, we're going we're gonna to end this series that we really would talk about. If we would kind of wrap it up, we would call it uh, a series on covenant, right? And uh, remember that covenant is an agreement between two parties where both parties have responsibility. Now, if you're our guest, you're going to notice there are going to be times when I'm going to ask you to interact. Here's why. When someone lectured me in school in different places, it bored me to tears. You with me? Uh, And when we get into a comfortable room in a comfortable setting, it's easy, isn't it, to fall asleep? Anybody like that? Good. I know, raise your hand so I know where to look. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and so I want you to interact with me because this is not about somebody preaching down to you. This is about me and you going through this message together, okay, from God. Will you nod with me if you'll participate a little bit, all right, along the way? And uh, when you participate, uh, don't participate like you're at a funeral, okay? Like Malachi or, you know, but, but say with a little emphasis, all right, like you're reading the Word of God out loud, okay? And you'll, you'll get what I mean in just a moment. Now, uh, wonderful, isn't it, to see how the uh, expansions continue to progress, amen? Uh, like I told you earlier, it takes a little bit to get Purple Shad Carpet. You have to order that, and it takes a little while for it to get in. So y'all just hang on, all right? It's coming. And, uh, and I just can't wait to see what God is going to do in our hearts and lives this morning, okay? And uh, so let's just do this. Malachi chapter 4, we're going to look at the last six verses together, okay? And before we dive into the message, I want to, if I could, I want to give a little recap. That'd be all right? Good, here I go. And so the introduction will be, instead of a story introducing to get you to think about something, I want to recap so that in case you're here and you have not been a part of the series so far, uh, you'll be able to understand chapter four. Remember, context is king to understanding biblical interpretation, all right? You can take a verse and I can take a verse and make it say anything I want it to say, but not as it flows in context, okay? Within the particular book, like Malachi, or within the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Does that make sense to you? Give me a little head nod. I don't want you to be a people who can be tricked by somebody who can take a couple of verses and make you believe that, they believe that it says something that it doesn't say. Remember this statement. The Bible can never say what it never said, okay? What it said back then, it's still saying today. Now, the application will be slightly different because the culture of their day, thousands of years ago, you'd agree with me, is a little bit different than our culture today, but people are very similar, People are very similar, okay? Now, remember, Malachi is a minor prophet of the Old Testament. Testament and covenant, same word. Some of y'all, when I say that every week, some new people go, that's old covenant part of the Bible? New co- oh, that's what those two halves are all about. So, Old Testament was steeped in the law, right? Uh, we'd say that God gave law, and that law was God's righteous requirement, and man couldn't fulfill it, so there was a 
Old Testament sacrificial system that we said when they would kill bulls and goats and those kinds of th- and lambs. Uh, that was like paying the minimum payment on your credit card, but never touching the principal, right? But it was pointing to a better covenant, a covenant not based in the law, but the law pointing to this new covenant, a covenant of, somebody help me, grace, a covenant of grace, getting what you don't deserve. Because you couldn't live the law, uh, God's going to do something for us. What did he do? Not the blood of bulls and goats because they couldn't take away sin, but instead the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood was so holy and perfect it was able to wash away the sin of whosoever call upon his name. That even means somebody like me. And so if it means somebody like me, let me tell you what, it means somebody like you. So then, we have this new covenant. But now, in the Old Testament, the prophet was a mouthpiece for God. There's just a simple definition. In other words, God would use the man anointed of his spirit to speak to the people on his behalf. Malachi's section of history was dealing with just before Nehemiah's return or, or uh, uh, the return back to Jerusalem and, and, and rebuilding the city. And so the people are in disarray. They're, they're not uh, 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 solidly with a wall around them, God's people. So they're kind of dispersed. They're suffering, suffering difficulty. And from chapter one, God gave them two reasons why they ought to be living their part of the responsibility in the covenant. Now remember, covenant, both parties have responsibility. The parties we're dealing with is God and man. And so God has responsibility, but also man has responsibility. So in this covenant, God says in chapter one, two reasons why they should be responding with a covenant response. Number one, somebody help me now. Number one is because of his great love. He said, I have loved you. And they looked past or looked back at God's faithfulness as they have been unfaithful to follow him. God had helped them out of every situation they'd gotten themselves into. Me and you, on the other hand, uh, look back to something as well, but we look back to, does anybody know how you and I know for certain that God loves us? The cross. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay. The Bible says in Romans this, for God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know that God loves me? Not because of whether I have a flat tire or don't, not because whether I got diagnosed with uh, diabetes or cancer or not. Uh, I don't base God's love on my temporary circumstances. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced he loves me because I look to the cross where as a daddy, I can't fathom the love that God has for me and that he gave his son for a sinner such as I. I don't, I'm fully persuaded that he loves me, all right? It was proven in the cross. Now, back to Malachi. He said, I loved you. And the second reason was, he said, because of the magnitude of who I am. I'm not just the God, a Jehovah of Israel, but the God of everything. And then he goes on in chapter two and chapter three to have a long scolding session, hadn't he? Some of y'all, I think that's why early, early worship said Malachi, because it's been a, it seems as if the messages have been like a lot of scolding, wouldn't you agree? Uh, but not void, not without the mercy of God and the, and, the, and the faithfulness of God. And we've seen that all throughout. And we watched as he said, I'm going to sum it up. He said that you have brought to me these lame, uh, limping, sick, stolen lambs as an Old Testament sacrifice to God. And basically we said that they were giving God their scraps. They're giving the leftovers, all right? And we declared by that, we said this, we, we can relate to these people, can't we? Because just like them, me and you have given God oftentimes, come on, somebody help me, our scraps. I say this often, uh, you and I couldn't do anybody like we've done Jesus and them still love us the way Jesus loves us, Right? 
And so we're reminded of his faithfulness. And as he goes through, he's talking about that. They've done this and they've done that. And now we've arrived at the very last chapter. Now, remember, after this word, after today, uh, verse number six, there's 400 and around 50 years of silence. This is the last word God spoke. It's called the intertestament period. Between now and the angel's announcement of the birth of two special people, one much more, uh, but the lesser of the two would be John the Baptist. You guys are going to be able to teach this thing, all right? And the second one is Jesus, the greater, the greater, okay? Now, what is God going to say to his people in closing? Wouldn't you agree that the last word somebody says for a long time, they mean to be lasting and important? And so let's lean in and, and pick up on what God's going to say to them in conclusion, okay? So far, when we sang a minute ago about, you know, after all that I've done, I didn't know what to expect when I came to you. We could say that these people in chapters two and three, God has said, here's all that you've done. And we're going to find out what is God's response to that in chapter four, okay? That all right? Everybody feel like you kind of got a little footing as to what's going on in Malachi? Somebody learned something already? Raise your hand if you learned a little something already. Amen, that encourages me. All right, here we go. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me and let's read uh, Malachi chapter four, verses one through six. And by the way, I'm so thankful that you came back this week after uh, having to wait out in the hall last week and all that we did. Did you get in a little better this morning? Just say, yeah, just nod, yes, that'll encourage. All right, good, good, good. And so uh, remember, we're people who say whatever it takes. If I have to wait a little bit, if I have to circle the lot, find a parking place, whatever it takes, right? Uh, just keep coming. I promise you, if you'll just keep coming, God will do a work of grace in your life like you can't imagine. So I just want to challenge you, encourage you that way. Malachi chapter four, verse one. Well, I'm going to read verse 18 of chapter three first, because you're going to see how it flows. <clears throat> now, remember, we left off with the people who said the arrogant and the prideful, they're the ones who are being blessed. They got bigger houses. They got more stuff. They're not even, they're, and, and so, the, so their determination was, well, that's the way we ought to live. That's the, that's the ones who've got it right. And God says, no, no, no. Listen, in verse 18, he says, you're, there's coming a time when you're going to discern, which means to, know, to be able to tell the difference. Then you shall, again, discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat. I love that, don't you? Like stall-fed calves, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statues and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth. Y'all help me with a curse. Let's pray, all right, for some understanding. God, would you open our hearts to the scripture? Grant us this morning understanding that is way past our finite thinking. Lord, this morning, I come before you once again and ask you, please help me to preach this word. I thank you that even though I am less than ordinary, you are mighty. And Lord, I pray again, you'd put on display in front of the people that there's nothing special about me except you, and you're very special, which means you can use anybody, anywhere, and at any time. So God, as you preach through me as a display of your power, would you also preach to me because I need it as much as anybody in the room. 
And Father, I pray that you would take this message outside these walls and your spirit would meet with people as they're tuned in online, whether it be at the nurse's station, while they're on patrol, wherever they find themselves, meet with us now and help us to have understanding. And like little children, help us now to pull up a chair at the table and have a conversation with our daddy. Speak life to us from heaven. We're listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> Hear that sound? Sliding them chairs on that concrete. Just hang on, all right? Just hang on. It's not going to be here forever. All right, here we go. The title of the message is a question, okay? Here's the question. I want you to write it somewhere. What does my future hold? I want you to write that down somewhere. What does my future hold? How many of you wish you could tell a little bit about the future? right? Now, in the early service, I said, uh, how many would like to know the future? A bunch of them shook their head, no. And I said, well, then you're saying if you left out of here and you're traveling down a road and there was a huge pothole in it, you're saying you would not like to know that ahead of time so that you could hit that thing full speed and tear the front end out of your vehicle, right? And so there's at least a measure of wanting to know the future. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, when, when my oldest daughter, Maddie, helped me to get into my truck after falling off of that ladder at the school, we we're had it heading to the Baptist hospital, and, you know, fortification used to be a landmine of potholes. Do y'all remember that? And they've got that somewhat fixed. And, uh, and so, but there's a large dip there. So if you ever, here's a little future thing you need to know about. There's a huge dip there that's come back. And so we're on our way, and I'm steady telling her to speed up and slow down at the same time. You can imagine that, right? Me over there giving directions in, in serious pain. And uh, as she's doing that, uh, her mama sends her a text. She has her phone propped up there where she can see the road. She glances over and she says there's a huge dip on fortification. Just about the time she slowed down enough to ease through the dip. Praise be to God. Because I thought I probably would have passed out if she'd hit that thing full on. And so knowing a little bit of the future is, is, is not a bad thing, right? Um, and, and yet there's a, really there is a portion of us that likes to know the future. It's why we have such things as palm reading. And, and things like tarot cards and, and tea leaves, right? And all the silly nonsense that man has come up with trying to determine what is the future. Uh, let me go on to say, uh, we even find it a little humorous to uh, get a little cookie at the Chinese place, right? Uh, I like to crack those open and say, let's see what Confucius say. And uh, yeah, you get some interesting things uh, along the road. And yet, what I believe today, God is saying in the last word before the silence, before Jesus is coming, is some very important things for us to know about our future. Now, there's going to be two, two outcomes of our lives that fit right into what are the same outcomes for their lives, okay? So we're going to learn a little bit today about what does my future hold, okay? Now, what I want to do is rewind back to the beginning. And today's message is going to have three Roman numerals, but then the Roman numeral two is going to have a one, two, three, and four, and number one is going to have an ABC. Isn't that good? So get your color-coded stuff out. Some of y'all come in here like, why does he always say that? I'm telling you. Some people come in here, they got their colored pencils, and they're ready, man. They need to have, and I get it, man, to, to, for flow. They don't want to have things. That, anyway, so here we go. Here's the main idea of the passage, verses 1 through 6. You say, what's the main idea? If you to boil all those verses down and then come up with one main theme, here it is. You ready? Now, you write it somewhere, and I hope that you'll tell somebody about it in the days ahead. Here it is. God offers life abundantly. Now, you say, where'd you get that? Hang on, I'll show you. God offers life how? Abundantly. Who offers it? God. God offers life abundantly. What'd you find out at church? Well, I, man, I looked at what my future held, and I found out that God offers life abundantly, okay? Now, let's break it down a little bit at a time. Roman number one, write this down. There are two, two different particular outcomes uh, in the future. Number one is judgment unto fire. Uh-huh, some of y'all started to write, and you looked up and said, wait, did he just say? Yes, 
One future is a judgment that is going to lead to fire. Now, if you, where do I get that from? Read verse 1 of chapter 4. Just read it right there. It's maybe on the overhead. No, it's not. Uh, maybe it's there in your Bible. It is. And so glance over that. I know they'll leave that up there so you'll have time to write it down. Roman number 1, judgment unto fire. Okay, that's one future that awaits some of us. Okay, and here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. Now, remember in chapter 3, they were saying, oh, uh, the, the, the wicked are prospering. D do you ever have that thought? Do you, ever, do you ever notice how sometimes people, they don't, they don't want to talk about God. They don't want no part of God in their life. Matter of fact, they live a godless life and they treat people how they want to treat them. And yet they've got a mansion of a home and they've got the nicest vehicle. Come, yeah, does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's the prosperity. I'm telling you, it has confused people since time began. The prosperity of the wicked, Okay. And so in chapter 3 at the end, they were, they were being a little confused. They said, hey, the wicked are prospering. Let's be wicked. And God says, no, no, no. There's coming a time you're going to know the difference. What real blessing is. And it's not the things this world has to offer. Okay? So he says, know this about them in the future. Number one, judgment unto fire. He says, for behold, there's a day coming. It's not now. Right now, they got a bigger house. Right now, they have a, a lot of people working for them. Right now, they have offshore oil, bank accounts. Right now, they have all kinds of stuff. But there's a day coming. If they don't have Jesus, all that they have will be worthless. Here's what he says. For behold, the day is coming and the day is... Y'all just mumbling out there, burning like an oven. It's burning. So, so imagine this. Before the foundation of time, the wrath of God is compared to an oven that is already burning. So God's not going to somewhere in the future decide to get mad at sin. He already hates it. He already has wrath upon it, right? And so there's this, there's this oven, this fire of God's wrath that is already, help me out, burning. It's already burning. And so he says, this fire is burning, and what's going to happen? And all the proud, the ones who they wanted to be like, the ones who they thought was blessed, all the proud who, who have not trusted in God, all who do wickedly will be, listen how he compares them. He said, they'll be like stubble. Now, stubble is grass that is completely dried out of void of moisture and cut short. Now, have you ever seen what happens if you strike a match or throw a spark into that kind of grass? Do you all remember back this summer when we had that large drought? And did you see sometimes you're riding down the road, there'd be large stretches that were on fire in the median or, or, or had recently been burned. Why? Because a little spark off of a break, a flat tire. One time we were headed back from a job and on the way back, we had a flat tire. My guys called me. They said, boss, we don't set up. We got a fire going. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Well, there's about a half a mile on 49 that has burned already between the two medians. I said, what happened? They said, we had a flat tire and the sparks from the rim hit the stubble. And so the thing about, why did he choose stubble? Stubble, listen to me when I say this to you, stubble has no ability to resist or to retard the fire. It has no bearing. It has no, it has no ability to hold off or to stop or to quench or to cease the fire. Does that make sense to you? So what does he say about the proud and the wicked? There's a day for them reserved for fire. Now, let me tell you something about the journey of my life. Someone said to me, man, you must stay so excited because of what God's doing out in the middle of nowhere. And, and I said, I, I do. It, it, it thrills my soul what God's doing. It really does. I said, but there's also a part of me that's in anguish. And they said, what in the world are you anguishing about? Your, your children don't love you? I said, no, my children love me. Are they not, not walking? And I said, no, they're walking with the Lord. What, what, what anguishes you? Here's what anguishes me. This is what gives me anguish and keeps me awake some nights. 
is the fact that every week I come in here to a group of people and I can't determine who in here is saved and who's not. And to know, now watch this, this is going to unsettle you if you're born again, to know that there are some people sitting in these comfortable padded chairs that right now their future is reserved for judgment unto fire. And I can't tell which one of you it is. And sometimes I lay in my bed and stare at the ceiling and I say, well, there's some, according to man's standards, there's some really good people, but they've never surrendered to Jesus. They've never invited Jesus to be Lord. And so I'm reminded that God's scale of good is not Terry's scale of good. And the scale of good that God has is to compare you to Jesus and compare to Jesus that nobody is good except those who have received him as their goodness. So it haunts me a lot because I see your face. You don't know I have a photographic memory. And so I see your faces a lot of times and I pray through and I think about you and your lives and what your lives say about whether you really are born again or not and, and your confession and whether you're making disciples and whether you're excited and whether you're committed and faithful. And, and I know, listen, I know that I can't determine because I'm not God, I'm just simply a man. But what I know is for certain, there is somebody in this room and what your future is, if you had a fortune cookie, well, that's a terrible example. If you'd hear the word from God that would say to you today that without Jesus, what you have coming for you is a fire that can never be quenched. You can't retard it. You can't slow it down. You'll never stop it. And the fact of the matter is in that lake of fire, there's still a desire to get drunk, but you can't get drunk. So you have that compounded with the pain of the fire. The, the, the desire to have sex outside marriage is still there, but no capacity to do it. So you still have the burning desire, the want to, which is terrible enough of its own, but then you're in a lake of fire. Now, we could go on with that, but I think it suffice to say that it haunts me a little bit that there are people who come in and hear the preaching of the word and God's invitation to come and yet stiff arm the Holy Ghost. And if they do that to the end of the race, they'll find themselves in a lake of fire. That, that is terrifying to me, terrifying. Now, I want to talk about the other future. Can I do that? Somebody said, please, can we move on? Second future result, okay? Number one, judgment unto fire. Number two, pardon and reward. Now, we're going to camp out here for a little while. Is that all right with y'all? Good. But don't you think this is yours if you don't have Jesus? Because right now, some of you have been very uncomfortable because you look over the landscape of your life and you know, listen, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you've never truly invited Jesus to be Lord of your life. You know you hadn't. You know it. Now, you've tried church. You've done some little things here and there and you think in your head that it's true, but you've never opened the door of your heart and said, Jesus, come and be number one. You've never done that. And because of that, your future is a lake of fire. But now you're going to hear me talk about Jesus and what he offers. It's going to make you feel better. But if you've not received him, it doesn't apply to you. So please don't, don't misapply the great truths that I'm about to make about Jesus. But here is the good news. You ready? It can be. It can be true about your life before this day is over. How about that? Isn't that good news? There's hope for somebody even like me. All right, number, number one, we said judgment and the fire. Number two, pardon and reward. Let's talk about it, okay? For those who he talks about here who fear the Lord in the old covenant, now we fear the Lord in a different way. We fear the Lord knowing that there is a judgment, but we fear the Lord in such a way that we trust his answer for the judgment and his answer for the judgment is not 10 steps, 12 steps, 25 steps. His answer for the judgment is a man, a savior, the God man. His name is Jesus. And if I fear the Lord, I receive his salvation. I trust he's the only way and I don't try to work my way in because you can't. I don't try to ignore him because I, I can't. I receive him as Lord. That's God's plan for mankind to be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Now, let me go along a little further, okay? Pardon and reward for those who fear the Lord. Now, 
in this next passage, specifically verse number two, Jesus is going to be prophesied. In other words, this is before his coming. A couple of different things are going to be used as an example to help us understand what he's like. The first one, right, number, little number one, is a sun rising. Uh, the sun rising, okay? Now, how many of you, like me, love the sunrise? Anybody here raise your hand if you'd like to see the sun come up? Man, it's beautiful, isn't it? And how many of you, like me, especially like if you can be at the beach or some large body of water? Well, I said beach, and boy, somebody, some of y'all like to tour your shoulder out, throwing your hand up. You, you, the, the picture of that, because the water provides a straight line, doesn't it? And to see that big ball of fire coming up, you know, it starts to make a bright spot before you ever see the sun. And then you begin to see that circle kind of cross the horizon line of the water. Oh, some of y'all wish you can hear the you can hear the waves crashing now, can't you? And feel your toes in the sand. And as you look at that thing, I mean, isn't it crazy how fast it rises? Once it breaks the water, man, if you look away or whatever, it'll be up. And it's a beautiful thing. But let's talk about why would he say in verse two? Look at verse two. But and I thank God for for this contrast to you who fear my name. The S-U-N, who's capitalized because he's comparing him to the S-O-N, okay? The son of, y'all help me, righteousness shall arise. The picture is a sun, the sun rising. Now, let's talk a little bit about what does the sun rising in comparison to Jesus mean? I want to explain it for just a second, okay? So, that means we're going to have an A, a B, and a C. You ready? Here's A. Here's why. Malachi, or God through Malachi, is comparing Jesus to a, the sun rising, okay? First of all, he's light for darkness. He's light for darkness. Let me give you a couple of verses to go along, help you understand. John chapter 8, verse number 12. Jot it down your margin there somewhere, and let me read it. John 8, and verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to the crowd, to them again, and he said, I am, y'all help me, the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but instead have the light. Isn't that beautiful? He says that uh, in the midst of the darkness of man's heart and sin, the sun is going to rise. And as we sing about O Holy Night at Christmas time, when we in sin and error were pining away in darkness, the light of God came in the form of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, light shined into our darkness. It's why you better not follow your heart. You know, there are people in the world today who believe that mankind is inherently good. You may be somebody like that in this room. You say, well, yeah, I think mankind is inherently good. And I would ask you, have you ever consulted the history books? All you have to do is begin to look back at history and how man treats each other. We kill, we steal, we destroy, we all natural resource, everything that we can get our hands on, we mess up with selfish. Come on, somebody, y'all know what I'm talking about. I had a man tell me, well, I don't know if I believe that. I said, do you have children? He said, I, I have two, they're little angels. I said, just hang on a minute. <laughs> I said, have they ever disobeyed you? Well, yes. I said, you teach them to do that? I said, sir, did you ever sit them down and say, listen, sit right here. We're going to have about 30 minutes this morning. We just learned about how to say our alphabet, you know, and now we're going to learn how to tell a lie. And he said, no, I've not done that. I said, you know why you didn't have to teach them that? Because the heart of man, the Bible says, without God is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. It, why? Because it's selfish, self-centered. So the lie, the con, it's why, you know that psychologists and scientists have proven that a baby can manipulate its cry as early as three months old? You don't believe it? That baby will put on a cry like it's hurt. Oh, it's hurt so bad. You pick it up, what happens? 
shoop, cut it off. And it's the same time. By the way, they've also proven they have a different tone and pitch depending on what the need is until they learn they can manipulate you. Isn't that something? So who teaches them that? Nobody. We're born that way. But Jesus, the sun rising, Malachi said 450 years before it happened, the sun's going to rise and show us what light is like in our darkness. Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus. But there are two things I want to show you about the fact of the sun rising in the darkness. Number one is this. This is why man does not understand Jesus and his kingdom. Because he is opposite to our darkness. Okay? Now, let me give you a verse. I don't want to just say something and not support it. Okay? Here it is. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. By the way, you learning something this morning? Yes, he's light, and he's light to our heart, but he's light that's misunderstood. John 1, 4 and 5, listen to what John said. In him was life, in Jesus was life, and the life, tell me, help me somebody, was the, there it is, the light of men, a sunrise, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. For the things of the Spirit are not discerned by the natural state of man. Why? Because when someone tells you to forgive somebody that's wronged you for no reason except that you should forgive, you say, that's nonsense. When someone tells you, if somebody insults you, do you allow them to assault you? You say, no way. It's why when someone says to you, if someone asks to borrow you, give it to them expecting nothing in respect. You say, that's craziness. The natural man is self-centered and selfish. Jesus in his kingdom is selfless. How do I know that? He gave his own life so that I could have his. And so we learn about a kingdom that's totally opposite than the kingdom here and it's light that shines in our darkness and it's why so many misunderstand when you don't treat people the way they deserve to be treated when they wrong you and you give them mercy when people harm you and, and, and discredit you and you give them grace they won't understand you why because they don't understand the god who lives inside you he's light in the midst of darkness now let me just move on not only is it why man does not understand him but according to john 3 and verse 19 and 20 it's why man rejects him why because he's light in darkness Light and darkness. Let me expound a little bit. Write down John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now, before I read John 3, 19 and 20, I want you to think about a couple of verses before that. Can you think of a verse that most everybody knows? It's right close to there. John chapter 3, verse 16. If you know it, I want you to begin. I'll join you. For that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How about that? John 3, 16. Hey, by the way, what a great, great, great offer. What God requires of me is a belief. Now, that's pastuo belief, which means a belief with action. It's a belief that leads to surrender, okay? But that's what God requires. I can, I can bring to him my sin, my shame, my sorrow, and I can trade it in if I'll surrender to him as Lord of my life and I receive a pardon and forgiveness and purpose. Are you kidding me? Who in their right mind say no to that? He goes on to say, John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, somebody help me, might be saved. He's a God who desires salvation, right? Who would say no to that kind of offer? I'll tell you. Let's read John chapter 3 and verse 19. You reading with me? And this, is it on the overhead? Yes. All right, read aloud. Read out with me. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world it's like a sun rising, and men. Oh, let's pause right there. Who in their right mind would reject such an offer? Those who'd rather do what they want to do when they want to do it. 
and pretend as if there is no God. Those that would pretend that just a Sunday morning attendance here and there would be salvation and in their mind think that they're right with God and yet not come to uh, fully grips with the fact that unless they surrender to Jesus as Lord, there's a fire waiting in the future. God is not pleased with it, nor does he desire it. And so we find today that this condemnation is coming to the world because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You know, a lot of bad things happen at night, way more so that happen during the day. Why is that? Jesus is like a sunrise. His light exposes darkness. It shows what's true and righteous and whole and holy. Well, let me move on. We said this sunrising says a couple of things about Jesus. It's light for darkness, but B is truth for error. All right. Truth for error. Now, uh, truth is going to be specific here to God's commands, his precepts, his directions, and his word. Truth, absolute truth. Now, if you go and attempt something without some guidelines, what will happen is the word. You ready? Here's the word, chaos. Did you know that? Uh, have you ever been to uh, uh, T-ball, when the first year T-ball? Any of y'all ever been there for that? Raise your hand if you've ever at least saw that before. Raise your hand. Isn't that awesome? They'll rather hit the coach with a bat than hit the ball. You know, how many, how many of y'all been hit by a bat with a, by a T-baller? Raise your hand. Look at the statistics. They speak for themselves. So they don't know the guidelines. They, they don't know hit the ball. They, don't, they hit the ball, maybe run back to the dugout. I've told you guys before when my son who's uh, 25, when, when he was playing T-ball, I remember him, uh, he's on first base, he hit the ball, and we finally got him convinced of that one guideline, when you hit the ball, go to first base. He got that guideline down, but then he got confused. And what happened was he swapped glove, he took the glove of the first base, and the first baseman become the runner. They're on opposite teams. And I'm thinking, boy, we got some kind of chaos out here. <laughs> and that is what life looks like, void of absolute truth. It's why the world, look at me now, if you're looking down and you've, not, you've toned out, I need you to tune in. It's why the world is attacking truth so relentlessly and wants you to believe you can create your own truth, right? Someone will say to you that well, relativity, in other words, uh, truth is relative to what you want it to be, is the same as saying what the Bible condemns, and that is every man did what was right in his own eyes. And when you do that, listen to me, in every area of your life, you know what you'll have? You'll have chaos. If you don't apply God's principles to your finances, your finances will be in chaos. If you don't apply God's principles in your home uh, with parents and children, the children will be running the parents and you'll have chaos. If you don't apply the principles and guidelines of God in your marriage, your marriage will be chaos. If you don't apply the principles and guidelines of God's word and his truth into your single life, your single life will be and the story goes on and on and on. And so this sun rising is that man had all these ideas about, you know, philosophy and all the nonsense that we can think up in our really highly intelligent minds. And the creator says, here's absolute truth. And man rebels against it. Don't tell me I have to. Don't tell me I'll create my own. And so truth comes into our life not to disarray our life, but to bring our lives into order that God may bless. Let me give you a verse. John chapter one, verse number 14. Listen to what it says. And the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory. And when we looked at Jesus, we beheld the glory as the only begotten of the father. Here it is, full of, here's our favorite word, grace, full of grace, getting what we don't deserve, but don't miss this one, and truth. 
It was Jesus who looked at Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the law of God to Israel, and looked him in the face and said, unless you're born again, in John chapter 3, he said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Grace and truth, perfectly balanced. And so this sun that rise was not just light for darkness, but also truth for chaos. And then finally, let us see, write this one word down, safety. Safety. How many of you know that it's a lot safer to be in a room with light than in a pitch black dark room? You ever gotten in a pitch black dark room and tried to navigate and kicked your pinky toe? And any of you ever had that thing point out sideways? And maybe there you spoke in an unknown tongue? Right? So would you agree with me that it is life is safer with light? Amen? Can you imagine trying to navigate life if there was no light? Have you ever hit your head on something because you couldn't see it? But when the light is on, you duck. When light is on, if you see the pothole, you, you step over, you slow down. Now, here's the statement I want to make to you, okay? We said he's truth, but also this sun rising is safety. You can see where to navigate. Uh, Jesus, I'm going to give you a verse, uh, John chapter 11, actually 2, verses 9 and 10. L listen to this, 9 and 10, John 11. Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anybody walks in the day, he doesn't stumble. Why does a man not stumble as often in the day that he does in the night? Light, he can see, she can see. Now, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, right? But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Listen, let me make this statement to you. When the sun arises in your life and he becomes the light for your life, here's what happens. There's no more danger with the obstacles in your path. There's no more danger unless we ignore the obstacles and the light that exposes them. Listen to me. I want you to understand that Jesus wants to be the sun rising in your heart and your life and your home because he'll show you the way that you don't have to keep hitting your head in chaos, that you can live a life that he can, in fact, bless. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so glad there's Jesus in Malachi was compared to a sun rising. Amen. Now, the second thing I'm going to move on, if I can, there are going to be four in this list. Number two, we're going to hit these a little quicker. Y'all take a deep breath. You ready? Can you listen any faster? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, we can listen faster. Go ahead. <laughs> Here we go. Number two. He's, he's compared to a sun rising, but the second thing is he's compared to healing for all our diseases. Now write that down. Healing for all our diseases, okay? Listen to what he says in Malachi, we're still in chapter four, verse number two, but to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise. We look deeply into that. But he also arises with healing in his wings. Do you remember when Jesus walked on the earth that as the light was born through a virgin, and the light of God came, God-man, you know, fully God and fully man, wrapped as a little baby, and he comes to the earth, and as he matures to be a man, he begins to do his public ministry. Wherever he went, he healed folks, except for a couple of places who didn't believe. But he healed people, and sometimes it was a few, and sometimes it was a lot. And some places he would go, and he said, and he healed everybody of all their diseases. How many of you believe that he still heals today? Let me ask a question of the group, all right? Now, I know we have hundreds of people from all the way to my right, all the way to my left. How many of you would say that you have, in fact, been healed of something in your life? Raise your hand. Now, hold them up high and look around the room. Wow, almost everybody. So then, the question is posed, does he still heal today? The answer is... Yes, glory to God. He still heals today. He heals through prayer. Would you agree with that statement? Somebody amen. He heals through the anointing of oil and the laying on of hands. Yes, that's what James tells us in chapter 5. But he also heals according to his will. 
Because sometimes we don't get healed here. Anybody still with me? Now, that healing we don't always understand. We said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible says he heals us of all our diseases. Yes, sometimes it's a temporary healing. Because if I get sick and, and God heals me, guess what's going to come down the road somewhere? Another sickness. Why? i got to check out of here sometime. The world, creation, and mankind's DNA was corrupted at the fall in the garden. And because of that, we have all kinds of sicknesses and deaths at all kinds of ages. And yet what we know is that God heals in situations, but sometimes... We have this healing that comes, and it's a permanent healing for the child of God. And that is when, does anybody know when that comes? When we get to die. Now, I'd love to say that, that somebody that had never been here, they look up and say, did he just say, get to die? Yes. One of these days, God's going to allow me through some vehicle. That vehicle may be cancer. That vehicle may be a car accident. That vehicle, I don't know what that vehicle is going to be. I thought for a little while it was going to be a ladder fall, but... There's going to be a vehicle someday that carries me into the presence of God. And I'll not look upon it negatively. I won't look at it as a downtrodden. I'm excited about that day. Why? Because I'll have a permanent healing, not just from my, you know, sinuses and such, but I'll have a permanent healing from the sin-sick body that I am trapped in until that day I'm set free. Meaning that one day I'll have a mind that no longer is is stained by the curse of sin. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that I'm going to have to die to be fully glorified. Is anybody with me? Now, now, there are a lot of people here who know me and have known me for a long time, and you can testify, if nobody else can, that Jesus Christ changes lives. I'm nowhere near who I used to be, but promise you this, I'm nowhere near what I'm going to be, and I'll have to die to be made perfect. And I can't wait for that day to no longer battle that voice inside of my head that always wants to do the wrong thing. One day is going to be gone. That's a permanent healing. There's healing in his wings. Anybody glad there's coming a healing for me and you one of these days? Healing for, amen. Give him a little hand clap of praise in the house this morning. So, so he's a, he's a light that for our darkness, he's the, he is the light that healing, I mean, excuse me, he's healing for our diseases. And then the third thing I want to look at, he's joy, listen, He's, he's compared to joy from true freedom. Now, where do you find that? Look back in verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise. I can just see the sun breaking over the water and thinking about all the light he's brought into my darkness with healing in his wings, the way that he's healed me and will heal me. And you shall go out and grow fat. Don't you like that? Grow fat like stall-fed calves, meaning you're going to be pleasantly well taken care of. If you have the ESV or the New American, the English Standard Version or the New American Standard, you, your, your translation is going to say, and you shall go out like leaping. How many of you have that translation there? Leaping calves. Now, uh, that word is actually in the original Hebrew. So, yes, we need to include it, right? Uh, leaping calves. You say, why, why do we need to, to include the leaping? Well, why would a calf leap? Why would a why would a have jump around. You ever seen when you let horses and things out of the out of the barn? It's a cool, crisp morning. Uh, our bulldog will even do it. She'll go out there and do three sixties in the yard. You know, uh, why is that? They are happy. They're happy. They don't leap because they're sad. They don't jump and bounce and spring and frolic because they're downtrodden. They, they do that because they're happy. Now, what does he compare their happy or what does he tie their happiness to? freedom. They go out of the stall. They're in a confined space. 
They can't go right. They can't go left. They can't jump. They can't experience the exhilaration of being free. They're, they're, they're downtrodden. Oh, I want you to see it's a picture of a human being bound by the chains of sin who can't do the right thing, who can't think the right way, who have the heavy and the burdens of not being able to be free from that which enslaves them. And he says to them, there's a sun rising who will be the one who will make you, he'll make you so happy because he'll set you free. Amen. He'll set you free. I'm so glad I don't have to be the guy I used to be. I'm like a leaping calf. I'm not going to do it because you scare y'all. But I promise you something. Every time you see me, I'm leaping in my heart. And sometimes I'll be leaping physically. Why? Because he set me free. And I'm not ashamed of that. If I get loud or, or dance a little bit, or I'm not ashamed of that one bit. And I don't even really care what you think about that. I don't care what somebody taught you about that because I'm not a man pleaser. I want God to be pleased. But I'm like that calf, man. I remember. Listen, some of y'all have forgotten what it feels like to be trapped in that stall. And somehow now you're churched up and you don't even sing. You don't even sing when it's time to sing. I wonder if any, I wonder some of it when I look at you, uh, you see me up, if y'all ever see me up here looking around, the reason I'm looking around, I'm, I'm trying to see which one of y'all really knows what it's like to be free. Some of you just stare at the wall and look angry. Some of you tough guys. I remember playing tough. I wish you'd get freed up in Jesus' name. So you'd find the freedom, what it means to sing out, not care what anybody else thinks. When you've been trapped and you get set free, I promise you, you don't care what you sound like because ain't nobody let you out but Jesus. Oh, friend, listen, he is the joy for true freedom. And number four, finally, number four, he is also victory for the captive. Listen to what he says in verse number three. Boy, we've learned some stuff this morning, aren't we? Had Malachi been good? Amen. I was hoping y'all were going to say yes. I got a little support there. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. All right. Verse number, verse number three, you shall trample, help me somebody, the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, there's coming a day when all of our, all of our foes, all the Satan's demons and all of the flesh and all the stuff that has worked against and been against will be ashes under our feet. Not because we're somebody, not because we're strong or we're something, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. Victory. He's victory. I don't know about you, but I love walking in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, Roman numeral three, and that's where we're going to land the plane. Y'all ready? If we hurry, y'all might be first in line to get something to eat. Depends on how quick you listen, all right? Roman number three, write in your notes here. We're going to conclude right here in verses five and six. He desires repentance that leads to salvation. Now, you write, and I'm going to talk. We'll do two things at once. The whole book has been about, the whole prophetic word from God through Malachi has been about what? This is a covenant relationship. I've held my end of the deal. I've loved you and I've proven my magnitude. You've not held up your end of the deal, right? Isn't that what it is? I mean, we summarize it, right, Quentin? You glue him. So that's what he said. And now he took a long time to do it. <laughs> He's like, here's all the things you didn't do to fulfill your end of the covenant. So to sum it up, the last thing he's going to say, you think he said, now get out of my sight, right? You ever said that? Anybody here besides me? Y'all make me feel bad when y'all look at me like, you would never say that? Yeah, I've said that to people. I've said it to myself, but I can't get out of my sight. Get out of my sight. You would expect after reading this book, God's held up his end. He's been faithful. We've been, the people have been faithless. And you would expect the end of him to say, and here's the two results. Okay, he sort of brought it to a close. 
Two results. One is going to be fire. One is going to be freedom. One's going to be fire and captivity. One's going to be freedom and forgiveness. One's going to be judgment and punishment. One's going to be reward and pardon. And here's what God says. You would expect him to say, and I hope you fool around and try me so that I can burn you up. Nope, he doesn't say that. He says, I desire for you to repent. Now, where do I get that? You read it. You read it. Put your eyes on it. Read it. Where do I get that? You're the expository preacher today. Where do I get repentance out of verse 5? Okay, here's the question. If you've been listening to the series, if you've been here with us, you found out that somebody is coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. Who is it? John, John the Baptist. There you go, John the Baptist. Why is he referencing John the Baptist here? What was his message? Repentance. You got it. Look at you. Just figured it out. So God said all of that, all of that to conclude right here. There's two results in your life. You're either going to have punishment to fire or freedom and, and full pardon. Here's what I want. I'm going to send Elijah so that you'll turn, so that you can be forgiven. I'm going to send the spirit of Elijah and John the Baptist who's going to say, turn your heart to God, turn your heart to God, turn away from you, turn your heart to God. Why? Because God's desire is to forgive you and to pardon you and to fill you and to give you purpose and not to have to punish you. Oh, I wish somebody besides me and two of y'all get excited about that. If he didn't, we'd be hopeless. But he says, this is the last thing he says, I want you to turn. I'm not done with you. You'd expect him to say after all that he said, I'm done with you. But he says, I'm going to send Elijah so that my hope is that you'll turn. But you won't keep doing life your way that you won't keep giving me your scraps, that you won't suffer from a lonely life of trying to figure things out on your own and do them in your own strength. He said, I'm sending Elijah. And today, he sent Terry. And he's saying to you, I don't want you to be punished. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to live another day without me. So today, I'm sending Terry with the same message. What is the message? Repent, turn. A changing of the mind leads to a changing of the action. Now, what I want you to consider this morning is the wonderful gift that's been given for you, and the gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment and to close your eyes with me for just a moment. Okay, put your stuff away and, and, and just kind of get as quiet as you can. And I want to say this. I want to say that the altar's open, and I'm going to make an invitation here first. I'm going to make an invitation first to some prayer warriors. Now, what I'm asking is, all right, is if we can get a couple of brothers and sisters up here praying for lost souls. I wonder if there's anybody in the house. We got some padding down here, or down front, and it's comfortable to the knees, and it's easy on you. And so I wonder if there's anybody, and I'm only asking for people to come pray for salvation. Would you do that? Because I know this. Listen, listen, we, we, we didn't come today to just hear a good message and go home. Somebody in here right now, their future is fire and judgment, and God does not want that. God does not want that. That's not who he is. It's not what he desires. So would you at the altar, would you help me to pray, help me to pray right now that God would take the blinders off of their eyes and, and today that they would be willing to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and wave the white flag of surrender. Listen, salvation is so simple a child can understand. What is it? God sent his son Jesus as the lamb sacrificed to die for the sins of the whole wide world, that he would rise again victorious. And he would invite man, woman, boy, and girl into a right relationship with him because we couldn't do it ourselves. 
Jesus did that for us. You say, okay, well, I believe that. Yes, but the Bible says in the book of John, as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. The word received there is a picture of someone reaching their hand out, turning the doorknob, opening the door, and inviting someone in. I wonder today if you would receive Jesus as your Lord, not as your co-pilot, as your Lord above everything else. These down front, man, there are a lot of people down front praying for you right now. And so what I'm going to do is with heads are bowed and eyes are closed and lights down low, I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask if, 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 if God may be dealing with you about that. I'm not, I don't play games. I'm not going to come find you or get you to come down front. I just want to know, and nobody's looking around, how I need to pray. If, if you're in this house and it's big and it's dimly lit, so I'm going to ask you to hold your hand up for a second. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? You don't have to hold it up real high, but just enough so that I can see it. I see you there. Just hold them up for a second. I see you right there. Hold them up just for me for a moment. I see you back there. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up. I see you over in the corner. Anybody else? Just slip your hand. I see you right there. I see you in the back. I see you back there. God bless you. Now, now what I want to encourage you to do is you can do business with God right where you're seated. Did you know that? You don't have to walk down an aisle to be saved. I don't know where we kind of got that, but you don't have to. These are praying for you right now that you would surrender. They're praying right now that you would experience what they have experienced. They're praying for you right now that you would, just like me, would unload all your guilt and shame, and today you'd be born again. That's what they're praying all across this front, all the way from one side to the other, too deep. They're asking God to help you right now say yes to Jesus. I'm going to challenge you right now where you're seated. Would you say something like this to him if you mean it with your heart? Lord Jesus, come into my life. Right now, take the doorknob of your heart, open it up, say, Lord Jesus, would would you come in? I want you to come in and be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I want to receive forgiveness and a pardon. I want to know God and walk with him, all right? Now, what I want to do is, I'm not, again, I'm not going to have you come down front unless you want to do that in a minute, but I want to ask of the room, if you did that today, I want you to raise your hand, but keep it up just so that I can see. I'm not going to come find you. Nobody's going to come mess with you. Would you just slip your hand up? If you've prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord, would you raise your hand up? I see you there. Anybody else? Just raise your hand right up. I see you back there in the back. The Lord bless you. I see you over there in the corner. Just raise your hand up. Just keep it up so I can see you. All right. May the Lord bless you. I want to challenge you as the Lord directs you. In just a moment, if you feel led of the Spirit to come down, let us pray with you and celebrate with you. If you don't, we'll pray that time comes that he does. But I pray today that you, would make, that you would make serious that commitment to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, you ought to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. What you've heard about what he is and what he did, that sun rising and the healing in his wings, you ought to love him more today after what you've heard about him. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we sometimes don't know if we can come back to him. Like, like, like I, after all I've done, I don't know what to expect when I, when I come back to you. Or when I come to you, here's what you'll expect. Expect him to put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger because he desires you. Now, Lord Jesus, would you move in our midst? Father, would you cause people to respond to the voice of your spirit? Even in these closing moments, we pray in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. As these continue to pray up front, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me and let's lift our voice in song. You respond as the spirit leads.